It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. Dynasty Podcasts live from Pilsen. We're in the new Dynasty Podcast studio here in Dynasty Podcast HQ. A brand new podcast studio here, and we are breaking it in. Our first guest in the studio ever, Austin Vesley. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Glad to be here. I'm, I'm glad to see the new space. Yeah, dude. Uh, you, um, man, we've had you on the podcast a number of times, and I think the first time was... It was 2014. Is that when the Juice video came out? Uh, 2013. 2013? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like five and a half years ago. Jesus. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. It was because it was at South By, right? It was at South By. It was yeah. me and you. We had been talking for a little bit about trying to set something up, and then uh, we got to chat at the Driscoll Hotel, where I was doing a lot of the interviews for the podcast for a while, until new management came in, and like one year I was at South By. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. I've been doing this for like five years. They're like, you can't record here. I'm like, oh. But yeah, you and I uh, caught up there and then Chance joined in at the very end. And it's like, it was so early on in everything where it's like Chance could just wander into an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like not scheduled, not... Yeah, it seemed like... It seemed like at the time, and he was like taking a dump or something like that, maybe at the Driscoll. So, you know, we really showed them. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. That's what they get for kicking you out, but we just did it in advance. (laughs) I love it, man. Uh, But you've been on the podcast a number of times. We did that. You and I did a workshop together at SAE Institute with uh, yeah. Elijah Alvarado, and that was really one of the first times we had ever done like a workshop concept. And you guys did a filmmaking workshop, which is just wild now to even think like all the way back then in like probably 2014, you were already kind of like you were established as a filmmaker from the music video side. But now it's like we obviously are going to talk about Slice, the fact that you're a feature length filmmaker. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, man. I'm, I guess let's start with this. Just how are you doing? Like how's how's everything for you? It's it's good, man. It's been uh, it's been a crazy few weeks. I was just saying to you before we went on that it's it kind of blows my mind that it was only three weeks ago that it came out. It feels like uh, much longer, but it's been great, man. People have been receiving it really well, and and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm excited about it. Yeah, so. There's so much to talk about with Slice, but I think one of the things that's really interesting to me is, you know, for people who know who know you, who've been maybe following you on Twitter and things like that, they might know that this is a project that's been in the works for a number of years. But I guess let's start with that. How long is Slice as a concept, as a project, as a real film? Like, bring us into the origins of how far back this goes. Yeah, this is. I mean, at this point, it feels like it's been about five years of my life, about wow. four almost solid ones, where like I was. I first started writing the the original concept of it in like early 2013. I think my first short film draft of it was like January 2013. So we're coming up on six years there on that. Um, That's wild. Yeah. So it was it was early 2014. I started developing it as a feature and, and wrote my first draft of it as a feature. And and it was that summer that we started trying to find the money and, and all that stuff. So it's been and basically once that started in August of 2014, it was just kind of like beaten pavement, finding money everything else until production and then past two years been post so okay so there's there's so much to break down but let's Mm -hmm. start with just the actual like making that a reality putting that together into the world like when it's you know late summer early fall 2014 and you have this concept and you're starting to look for money yeah you've never you've done music video work with like chance and save money and vic but you've never you know worked towards a feature film that i know of yeah Um, when you're looking at that initial concept like how do you even know what to do first? Was it something where, how did you figure out what those initial steps were? Yeah, it was kind of uh, really a, 
a stroke of fate where um, this guy, Brandon Riley, who I don't know if you've ever met him. He, he, um, he had rented me a camera for a Kids These Days video in like 2012. And then we'd run into each other around town. But he eventually he hit me up in August of 2014 and was like, hey, man, um, do you have any scripts written? And I was like, yeah, I do. You sure. know, he's looking for stuff that could be made, you know, at a certain budget level in Chicago specifically. And I was like, man, yeah, I just happened to, you know. And at this point, it was like I'd been doing the music videos for a while, and I just couldn't really see my way totally out of it. And I was figuring out what to do next. And and here he came. And it was just like one of those crazy moments. And he went and read it and, and uh, talked to this guy who he'd met who was interested in funding films. And within like a couple days, he was like, hey, man, we've got some seed money. Let's start finding the rest. And Brandon had produced, you know, a couple of, um, or, or I think he'd produced a couple of um, lower budget features before, you know. So it was right. good because I kind of had this sort of like, you know, guide through through that process, and, and someone who's much more business minded than me. Well, yeah, because the and I'm not a filmmaker, but I just know the process of realizing anything, mm. turning it into a real reality. Yeah. It's just, it's hard. Getting funding is hard. Pitching investors is hard. Pitching mm-hmm. is hard. Like, yeah. these are all things, and especially for a lot of creatives, I don't think they necessarily come naturally. Mm-hmm. I think talking about money, at least in a lot of experiences with creatives, it's like, that's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, it was. And and the experience was was totally foreign to me, where it was like, you know, it was me and Brandon taking meetings with these sort of like they're like like banker type guys, right. you know, and and at the in the lobby of the Soho house, you know, and I'm pitching them about this thing about werewolves and ghosts and <laughs> like chance the rapper story. Yeah, and and they didn't totally get that, but a lot of the thing that a lot of people understood right away obviously was like, oh, chance the rapper. Okay, we kind of get that. Sure. Sure. But but yeah, it was strange because, you know, when you're when you're trying to find that amount of money, it's like you, you you have to start thinking about the compromises you're willing to make and the ones you're not willing to make. Where like at one point it was like, well, do you think you could get you could do McDonald's placement in this movie? And it's like, not really. No, I feel like that would have been very jarring. Yeah, unless you did it in a very Wayne's World, like we're drawing attention to this product placement, yeah. making fun of it kind of way. Yeah, but like that only works if you're very bold face, being like. Look at us in on the joke of this. Yeah, and we thought about that where we're like, okay, well, let's think about this. We're like, what brands could fit? How could we flip brands to where it's like, how are the brands that we know advertising to ghosts and stuff like that? <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm trying to think of like, like we, I, I don't know. But anyway, we, we were talking to brands and trying to think of creative ways to do that stuff. And luckily, we kind of got past all that and uh, didn't have to do that. But it was it was weird, you know, and it's like your first thing. It's like, well, I really just got to make this. Right. So like... You know where do those where do you stop with compromises and sure absolutely because once you kind of open the door to some all of a sudden it's like you look at it and you're like this is not remotely the thing that I was trying to make mm-hmm. and I'm sure especially your first time out of the gate it's like that's the thing people will remember you for yeah you know like like Kevin Smith is always going to be the guy who made Clerks mm-hmm. and he's done a million things since then but he made Clerks yeah and that's the thing people know him for. Mm-hmm. And you look at, like, 90s bands, and they made that album they made in 93 or 95, even though it's 2019 almost. Yeah. So if your first thing is just this 90-minute McDonald's commercial, people would just be like, oh, yeah, 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 the guy who made the McDonald's commercial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, the thing I was really trying to do was with this thing, because it wasn't like, it's not like, you know, horror necessarily or supernatural stuff was, like, my calling, you know. It just happened to be that I wanted to do something that was, like, a little bit outside of the box for what an independent film would do and try to do it in a way that was like definitive of my voice. So when you start getting into those things where you're like, oh, 
well, it's going to be my voice, but it's going to be... Yeah. I'm loving it. I don't know. It's, it's weird. So, so yeah, like I said, it was lucky that we could kind of, in the end, avoid those things. Yeah. And at what point, and again, we're kind of jumping around here, but like, because we, we haven't gotten to talking about the actual story, the plot of the movie, yeah. but at what point does like A24 join the conversation? Because I mean, mm-hmm. anybody, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what A24 is, mm-hmm. but like they did The Witch, they did American Honey, they did Hereditary, which is great, like eighth grade. I mean their resume is just staggering. So, like, when do they enter the conversation? It was about a year into that funding process. So, you know, straight up 11 or 12 months of of having those meetings and and this and that, and we'd gotten to a certain level where we felt comfortable, like, we can make a movie, we can make some version of this that we'll be satisfied with uh, at this certain budget level. So we're like, cool, let's start talking about it. Let's start letting people know that this is what we're up to because we can maybe get more money or more interest. Sure. So the thing we did was we had uh, an artist named Alex Yaccarino, who I knew from high school and stuff, do a, a poster of Chance, you know, like a cartoonish one next to the bike, and there's a big pizza slice, and it's yeah, a slice. Yeah. And so we had him put that on his socials, and I think, I mean, Chance this was... socials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is about a year after Acid Rap, and, like, you know, obviously I knew Chance had a great deal of, of you know, interest around him, but I didn't realize to this degree maybe you know so like he put it out and within two days it was like the new york times chance the rapper to star in movie chance the actor and i'm like oh shit (laughs) uh okay cool and that's sort of when a24 became aware of us there were a couple of studios that hit us up about it and a lot of people assumed that because we had this fully developed art that the movie existed so a24 fake it till you make it a hundred percent yeah and it wasn't i didn't think that it was that was what the gambit was but it ended up being that and uh, A24 was like, cool, we might be interested in, in buying or distributing that movie. And I'm like, well, there isn't one. Let's talk about it, you know. <laughs> but luckily, you know, there was a script and stuff, so sure. we could kind of go from there. But, you know, that ended up being another probably five or six months of, of phone calls and meetings and, and finally ended up later that year meeting with the CEOs and kind of being like, okay, here's my vision, here's what we're doing, and, and sort of making them comfortable with a first-time filmmaker with this sort of crazy idea. But I got to think, and again, I don't know anyone in A24, I don't, I don't know that much about filmmaking, but it's like, I got to just think that's the, the dream landing for like your first time out when oh, you're yeah. making that strange of a movie that has mm-hmm. a distinct voice. And it's like, I don't know if there's any studio out there that gets the idea. You look at A24 movies and you're not like, oh, any studio could have put this out. Oh, yeah. You watch Green Room, you watch any of these things, and you're like, yeah, there's only really one place this was going to land. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it was a real trip because I think at the time that we were really talking to them, they just put out Room, which was yeah. getting all of this buzz. Such a great film. Yeah, and we were talking to producers that they knew, uh, like Adela Romanski, who had just produced Moonlight, which wasn't out yet, but it was kind of like we were all of a sudden in this, like, Moonlight world. and, uh, and it <laughs> What was a like, weird pairing that would be, like, just yeah. some double feature of, like, Moonlight into Slice. Yeah, just just <laughs> totally crazy, but, but yeah, man, it felt like, it kind of feels like that Anthony Bourdain thing where he's like, I feel like I've, I'm driving a stolen car, and the, right, you right. know, and I, the headlights are back there somewhere, and it's just like, that's that's how it felt, and it's how it still feels, that it's just like... I'm fucking getting away with something. It's too good. But you know what? And it's like, and I know this because I've I've known you now for a while, and I've seen the work. Like you were always putting in the work. You know, you treated every video you did for Save Money or Vic or Chance like it was, you know, a Warner Brothers production. Like mm. you put in so much care into those, and you were doing that before. Like it sounds, 
Now it sounds like, well, of course, if you have a Chance the Rapper project, of course you would put care into it. But you were doing this when like Vic and Chance and all these guys were young and new and right. they didn't have Coachella or Lollapalooza behind them or or anything or Billboard. So like you it seemed like you were always taking this very seriously and then that was all of your training, I would imagine, for stepping up to this. Yeah, it was. And 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 I guess that was like the only way to approach it, because at the time it was like they were they were striving, you know, they were trying to make this music career and I was trying to 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 get into this film career, but it was like you know, I didn't know exactly how to do that, but it happened to be that um music videos seemed like a good route. And so yeah, it was like these guys were making music at a certain level and always pushing themselves, so it would have been just like I don't know, it would have been too too lazy to show up and like not wanna, you know, work at the level that they were working at or or, or try to, you know, yeah, yeah, match so, the match the work. Yeah. So you have this background with the videos, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I would imagine that prepared you to some degree. But once you're on set, once you're actually making this movie, what was surprising, or what was like, oh my god, I was not ready for this component of it at all. Man, so much of it, honestly, because it, I, I guess, and and I knew going into it that it was going to be a hugely different experience. You know, like you can, the good thing about the music videos was as you know, the artists that I was working with as their sort of stars rose, it kind of allowed me new opportunities as well where, you know, you know, from making 22 offs for $100 in a basement right. in, in 2012 to making Sunday Candy in 2015 for tens of thousands of dollars and having a crew and, you know, a set and control over what was really, really going on. All of those things ended up contributing to, like, confidence and being able to run a set and stuff like that but then when you get your calendar and it's like oh my god it's 25 days it's right. you know uh, the longest I've ever spent on a music video is maybe three or, or something like sure. real real days so you know and, and also it's been a while now since we shot it and things look a little glossier in retrospect so like stuff doesn't really stand out to me as being that bad you know so like because production for me was actually the golden ticket that was the best part of the entire experience up until maybe September 10th right was like being on set with people and making stuff. You know, the hard thing was was really believing that it was going to happen, you know, up up to that point. And then even afterward. You know, it's weird. It's like, now here's the thing. We're in this new podcast studio that, uh, that myself and some of my collaborators in the podcast we just built. And this is not remotely the same scale as Slice, but it's like I had this idea for a long time. I pitched sure microphones on them, giving us some of those mics there. And eventually they did. You know, it was a process of they were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get them to you. And, then, and I'm not remotely calling out sure. It was more just like they have a lot on their plate. And then sure. finally the sure. mics came through. Exactly. And then I was like, okay, well, we got the mics. The mics actually came through. That's awesome, you mm-hmm. know. And then I started talking to my friends. I'm like, well, what do we have to do in this room? And, like, I went out and bought a table. I'm like, well, okay, well, I have the table. And then went out and, like, pad the, you know, bought everything mm-hmm. we needed for the walls, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole time... Until we were drilling these into the walls, I just thought, like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this happened? And then once we started drilling, I was like, well, we're doing what well, When did this happen? Yeah. You know? like, yeah. And I can only imagine on the, the set of the movie that you've been just working towards for years, mm-hmm. there had to be a moment where you're, like, on set, like, wait, how did we actually get here? Yeah, absolutely. Because, well, I mean, so, so to that point, it's like we were actually in pre-pro, like, active pre-pro, what you call prep. Right. Like where you're three weeks out from shooting the movie. We were at that point in May of 2016. And then like a whole bunch of things happened and some dominoes fell to where basically we stopped. We, we funding fell out of the bottom after all of, you know, the two years of sure. that stuff. And it was like, 
oh, okay, so yeah, this also isn't going to happen. You know, where you're literally two weeks away from day one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you get to the point where like it's mid-September and you're wrapping out Paul Shear, he's just done all the work and he's going home. As you do. And you're just like, um, yeah, whoa, whoa, <laughs> right, you right. know? And, uh, and yeah, you got to try to find, you know, the moments where you can really embrace that stuff and be thankful for it because it's like... It's just so surreal that it could ever happen. And so many things could have could have gone wrong where it didn't happen. Yeah. It could have easily not. Mm-hmm. If someone from A24 hadn't paid attention to Instagram that one day or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. There's so many things that if they didn't happen just so. So, yeah, I can only imagine how how exhilarating yeah. and probably terrifying that was. It is. Yeah, it is. And and it was like trying to keep a cool head about it all the time. And, and you, you know, because if you're the you're the head of the set and you're kind of like losing your mind. It's not going to bode well for everybody else. Sure. If they see you panic, they're like, wait, 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 what's going on? Yeah. Why isn't this going well? Yeah. yeah. So again, straight up, like fake it till you make it. I was just like, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to just take everything in stride and, and, uh, see how it goes. So let's talk about the story because the story we haven't even, like, I love all this, this production talk. I think this stuff's awesome, but like mm. the story is Super weird. I yeah. don't want to spoil the whole thing because it's just new on iTunes and everything, so people should go watch it. Mm-hmm. But some broad strokes that I think are apparent from the posters, trailers, etc. It's about delivery drivers being murdered in a small town. It's about a werewolf. There are ghosts. Uh, and not like ghosts like weird special effects of like transparent specters. I mean, they're just solid people who just happen to be dead ghosts. And it's it's a weird fucking story. Like, mm-hmm. I don't normally ask, like, what was the inspiration for this? Because I think that's a cheesy, lazy question. But in <laughs> this case, where did this story come from? Yeah, uh, the the first idea that came to me was the, was the pizza driver stuff. And that was, like, again, like six years ago where it was just, I don't know, I was drunk and I thought it was, like, a funny idea <laughs> to make a horror movie about pizza drivers. I'm like, this hasn't really been done. I don't think the delivery community has been properly represented. So I was it's like... It's like the, uh, the TSA agents in Get Out. Yeah. All of a sudden they have <laughs> yeah. their representation on totally, screen. Totally, totally. And um, so, yeah, I had written the short film that pretty much took place in a world just left of our own. Like, it right. wasn't... There wasn't the supernatural stuff. And that short was, was fine and it was fun and I really liked what was going on there. And then I kind of sat on it for a while, and I was like, man, I really like this idea. I just don't know what else to do to make it bigger. And all of a sudden, I was going back to my favorite book, which is Civil Warland and Bad Decline by George Saunders. And there, it's, this, it's super weird. He's a really weird guy, too. <laughs> and, and he has this novella about a Civil War theme park. And I can't even get into all the details of that, but there's a guy leaving work one night, and there's some ghosts from the Civil War era like haunting his car, like kicking the tires and... They don't understand that they're in the future. They're just dead. And, and the <laughs> right. guy's just like, oh, these fucking ghosts are out there again. And I was like, that's a very funny way to treat the supernatural is to just take it for granted and say, this is what's here. It's like, oh, there's construction on the street. Straight up. Yeah. yeah just that type of thing. And from there, it was like I was thinking about how to get Chance involved because I'd been talking to him about, you know, he always knew I wanted to have a film career. So I, it must have been, I don't know exactly, but it must have been some type of thriller connection that made me think like, oh, it'd be funny to make Chance a Werewolf. And then it kind right. of fit in with that ghost stuff. And it just kind of ballooned from there, man, where uh, pretty soon I'm thinking about a, a hell mouth and under the pizza place and all this stuff. So yeah, it just kind of like blew up. It felt to me very throwback. It felt like the kind of movie I would have seen in the 80s at like, a pre-blockbuster video shop mm-hmm. in the neighborhood that I wouldn't have been old enough or allowed to rent, 
but like you know the kind of thing you'd see next to like all the like sorority babysitter kind of slashers yeah. and all the Freddy and and Jason. It, it just felt like this weird throwback to like this kind of midnight movie, like the the pizza delivery thing. That's such an eighties thing. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, I don't yeah. know if that was an actual influence, but it felt very much like a midnight movie to me. Totally, and and I was thinking about that stuff too, about the timing and and or the era and the genre and everything. Where like. And and I feel like a lot of when when people do those types of things, they do them and and you know not, not to judge anybody the way they make a movie, but like they do it in more of an ironic or a cynical Detached, sort of attached. Yeah, like they're looking down on it. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So I wanted to just like actually make that movie. I wanted to do it genuinely and do it you know with sincerity and and just like make that yeah. again make that Something genre that, like. Honestly, if it didn't look so good, you easily could have passed it off as being like, oh, yeah, this is Lost Flick from 1987. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Because it has that, like, weird tone. It feels like something you would just stumble on at, like, 2 a.m. on, like, basic cable or read about in Pangoria. Yeah, totally. And I mean those all as, like, the highest compliments. 100%. Like, like, that's the, like, most interesting, weird kind of stuff where that lives, you know? Yeah. And, and stuff like that tends to, you know, I mean... In its best form, it, it connects with people, whether it connects with the broadest audience, you never know, but it connects with the people it lands for. They just love it. They're just like, oh, thank you for... I get this. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks, yeah, for, yeah. thanks for this. You right. Know? Exactly. And it's like, I, I miss these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been a lot of that. It's felt really nice, you know? Now, the film was shot in Joliet, obviously mm-hmm. Chicagoland area, like... And Joliet's got a very distinctive kind of feeling to it. It's a lot of strip malls. It's a lot of, like, mom-and-pop yeah. kind of places, like... Was Joliet always the idea? I would imagine it's very cheap to shoot there, but like it mm-hmm. felt like that really contributed to the tone of the story. Yeah, so Joliet came up probably like early 2016 when we were starting to think about like, okay, this is going to be happening this year. Let's figure out where we want to do it. And w- so when I was writing it, I was writing it with um, the Quad Cities in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I went, did my last two years of high school. I moved around a lot growing up, but that's where I was for my last two years of high school. And the Quad Cities was just like a weird place to me because it was like... And for people who don't know, that's Davenport, Iowa, Rock Island, Illinois, Bettendorf, mm. Iowa, Moline, Illinois. Right on the border. Yeah, right on the Mississippi River. So there's like it's like this river town where there's like all this old stuff right on the river. And then the further you get from the river, the more suburbanized and the more box stores and all that mm. stuff. And I thought that was just such like an interesting visual representation of like aging out and just like development and stuff like that. And that kind of spoke to that ghost living disconnect thing yeah so i couldn't it, it was just like it was prohibitive to go shoot in in the quad cities so we found we all wanted to find a place with that vibe around here and joliet had that like river town industry dead kind or alive forgotten, yeah kind of rust belt kind yeah of like just all strip malls and it can be and you can be in an old neighborhood with these like sort of nice houses that are but they're old and then you can get into all of your more suburban stuff you yeah know? and it, so it had everything that i wanted visually and then when we actually started to work there it was just incredible the people were so open to having a production there and excited about it and wanted to contribute and be a part of it and well i don't imagine there's a lot of like productions that come to joliet illinois yeah you know yeah. i mean the famously the blues brothers uh yeah, yeah. they get out of the or you know joliet jake gets out of prison there in joliet and then um I think they shot Prison Break at that prison too. Oh yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, but um, but yeah, other than that, I don't think they get a whole lot of stuff. So it was it was cool because, I mean, from just the generous spirit that people had, all the way to like the fact that they didn't really have a lot of restrictions in place. You sure. know, like they they didn't have a lot of that stuff that a city would be like. We've had problems with this. I so don't do this. They were just like, yeah, have fun. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like you're bringing us 
all this kind of influence and, and yeah. interest. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the cast here. Because, I mean, the cast in this is just crazy. So you have Zazie Beats from Atlanta. She plays Van, and she is, man, she is killer yeah. on Atlanta. Like, yeah. talk about, like, let's go through this list and get kind of, like, some of these names here. Like, mm-hmm. talk about working with her because she's great in the film, and she, I know I've seen her in Atlanta. I don't know if I've seen her, I feel like I've seen her in other things, but, God, she kills in Atlanta, and she's great in this. Yeah, so this is one of those things that sort of was one of the obvious benefits of having someone like A24 attached early was that, beyond Chance's involvement and stuff like that, she we had a casting director who had we'd been connected with through A24, and they presented the possibility of Zessie Beats, and I was like, okay, this is crazy. Because Atlanta wasn't out yet either, but I'd been checking out all the press. You uh, just lucked out on so many... Not that you didn't put in the work, man, yeah. but there are so many places where it's like, oh, my God, right place, right time. I, again, man, it feels... Like I said, it feels like I'm getting away with something. It's crazy. <laughs> like So Atlanta wasn't out... It premiered while we were shooting, but so basically what I did is I just went and found anything online I could find of her at all acting. A lot of it was like college short films. It was like a reel, but I thought she was great. She had a great look. I trusted, you know, Donald Glover and Hiro Mirai, (laughs) you know, I was like, they're going to, you know, so um, I offered it to her thinking there's just absolutely no way she's going to say yes. And she did. And we talked and she really got it. And she was really interested in doing something that was outside of the box, something that I'll just never forget. She said to me, she's like, I've been playing a lot of pregnant lately, so it's like good to do something a little different. And I was like, that's funny, because I think, was she pregnant in Atlanta? Or she just had a baby. She just had the baby, but then it's like, I feel like if you look at Slice and then Atlanta season two especially, I mean, season one is pretty wild, but season two especially, you're like, well, she got her wish of doing stuff that's offbeat. Straight up, Season two of Atlanta is just like, you watch and you're like, huh? Amazing. Yeah. 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 And yeah, so I mean it was just it was just a, a great gift to to meet somebody like that and, and then obviously her her star has only continued to rise. I mean it was only maybe like six or seven or eight months after rap when it was like Zassy Beats, Deadpool two and I was like, Jesus Oh yeah, Christ. yeah, that's so right, like, Deadpool two. Yeah. yeah like, Once you get in that Marvel level, it's yeah. I was like, this is insane. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was amazing. Uh, and she's just a, a great person and she just brings a, a real power to every frame that she's in like you just oh, yeah. almost don't have to give her much because she just like shows up and blows you away it's she great. commands on the screen yeah truly for sure truly now you have a chicago native in here uh who I, I had not seen anything previously mm-hmm. but I, I was looking at her list ray gray and she's in a whole bunch of stuff including like the uh fear the walking dead not the walking dead but fear the walking dead yeah. uh and she's a chicago girl like uh talk about her involvement was that someone you knew or was that another <laughs> casting connection i had I had been aware of Ray. It was like, I think I was watching Boardwalk Empire or something, and, and someone was like, oh, that's my agent's daughter or something like that. <laughs> she was like in the she was like in a small role in Boardwalk Empire. But anyway, I, I knew her name, but she auditioned. She actually sent in a really great audition for Astrid, and I ended up thinking, I didn't find anybody quite who I thought was, was right for Sadie, and I just saw, I'd seen her range through what she'd done before and through that Astrid audition, and I was like, I think she'd be really good in this role. So, And she's like the consummate professional, like one take Jake, like I swear you could just like action cut and you've got what you want out of her. It's amazing. And she's, she's just like, she's a lifelong actor. Like this has just been her thing. And it's awesome. Yeah. And she's just, she's just great. Uh, and I, I, I can't wait to work with her again. I had seen just after we made slice, she was in this short film. I think it's called the robbery. Mm. She plays this like methed out chick. Who's like, robbing a, a a liquor store to like get money to take her dog to the vet or something like that <laughs> and it just blew me away because i was like this is just categorically different from the person that i know and the person that she presented on screen right so it's just like she's really 
really got a broad range. I'm just excited to see what happens with her, you know? Yeah, I thought she was great in this. Um, you have Paul Shear, who we don't have to be like, here's who he is. Because <laughs> literally, like, even if you, most people know his name, but even if you're like, who is that? If you saw a picture of him, you'd be like, oh, right. he's from every single thing that's ever been on TV. Yeah, yeah. I've been aware of him forever. And he's amazing. He's, he's great on 30 Rock. He's great. Yeah. On, I mean, he's, he's great in everything he's ever done. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I used to watch probably around the time right before Brandon was hitting me up about this script. I was watching The League on right, Netflix yeah, with my yeah. dad all the time, you know, and like... Just just a huge fan of the guy. So, like, when they said that he was agreeing to this role, I was pretty blown away, pretty intimidated, because he's just such a sort of a comedy icon to me. And he's always working. He shows up and everything. But, uh, I mean, he's just, like, such a generous person to work with. He he, he gives you a lot of options. He'll... he'll He'll improvise, but he won't step on your toes. Yeah. Like, and and he wants to make sure that it's it's still serving what what you're up to. Which, as a first time director, you're working with this guy who's so experienced and done all these things. You're like, yeah, man, run with it. That's and amazing. Uh, and he's just and ever since. I mean, ever since shooting, he's been a really great advocate for me. And and uh, you know, he's gone. He was on Larry King the other day talking about I this. I saw your link of that. I meant to watch that. It, I fell out. Like, literally, I had to sit on the floor, and I was, like, making coffee, and he emailed it to me, and I was watching the clip, and it's so You said funny. it was, like, your Truman Show moment. Yeah. Like, is everybody doing this for my yeah. benefit? Yeah. yeah, it felt like it. It was like, there's no way this is real. Like, you know, I was seeing <laughs> It's stage. Yeah, you know in Breaking Bad when uh, Gretchen and Elliot go on Charlie Rose? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It exactly. felt like that, and man. Walt just Walt just happens to be watching yeah. at that bar, right, right? Yeah, exactly. But it felt like that, man. It felt like like he was Larry King was playing himself, and you know it was weird. But yeah, yeah. And in a different podcast, man. Like if we weren't promoting this awesome uh, film, and not even promoting, but just like dissecting it, there's a whole separate conversation about how good this season of Better Call Saul is. Because I always oh, see yeah. you talking about. Oh it, man, yeah. 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 Chris Parnell, another comedy icon in this, SNL, Archer, Rick and Morty, 30 yeah. Rock. Maybe one of my favorite characters on 30 Rock, Dr. Leo Spachemin. Uh-huh, never uh-huh. had a bad line. Oh, no. Um, Chris Parnell almost never has a sour line because he's... He's good in everything. And he'll turn anything funny. Like, it's, it's, it's insane. His it's, delivery is just yeah. unreal. Powerful voice. And he, he, was, he was one of the last people to, to be cast. And so I was on set. It was probably like week two or three and you get the email from the casting director chris parnell would love to be your mayor and you're like you're lying to me what a sentence yeah this is crazy (laughs) and but again super generous super thoughtful about someone who's doing this for the first time me is like he came in and he just sat down and he got on my level and he said he said please direct me and i was like fuck yeah sure you know it just opens the door because when you put him up on a on a stage in front of all these people and at a podium, you're kind of intimidated about giving the man notes. He's, he's incredible, he's Chris you know, but, sure. but he really made that, he made that comfortable for me and it was a really great experience. Now, uh, something I didn't want to talk about the whole interview because it's like, I feel like this is something that gets thrown around a lot with you is chance. Mm-hmm. And obviously chance is somebody who, you know, a friend of yours, longtime collaborator between the two of you. Is it, do the two of you ever just be like, you know, like when people are like, Chance the Rapper's new movie, like, Mm. does it get weird? Is it, I don't know, you guys have had this working relationship in addition to your personal relationship. You've had this working relationship for so long now. Mm -hmm. What was it like for him to come kind of on like your playground versus vice versa? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was cool. I think it was cool for him to see, you know, what I was, what I was really, really trying to do all, all these years, you know, like what it was that I was sort of working towards. 
<clears throat> he admitted it in our Q&A the other day after the premiere that he didn't really like doing the process of like, you know, whether you're sitting around all day or whatever it is. But, but yeah, the stuff where it's like, Chance the Rapper this I mean people It's like how media is With just like To get their clicks You sure. know And yeah. the, the people Who get most angry about it Is like my mom Is like They said Chance the Rapper's Movie again And I'm like Yeah I know But I there's know. worse ways To describe it They could have been like Oh I've never heard Of that movie Yeah yeah, yeah. Right right So yeah it was, it was That's stuff that I got used to A long time ago Like it's just That's what it is You know It is what it is And it's like I mean Chance is a lot of fun In the film Yeah And also like He's a good actor Yeah Yeah I think In In you know, you don't know what what he's totally capable of. So, like, you know, I'm thinking about all the things that I know about him. I think that he's he's clever and he's witty and he's charismatic. And I'm like, cool, let's just meld that into who this character is and try to write for his voice so that he can just really be comfortable letting himself into it, you know? Because it's a weird world. So to invite somebody on their first movie to be like, all right, so you're a fucking werewolf. Uh, and everyone thinks you're the bad guy, but you're just a Chinese delivery guy yeah. who's trying to like yeah. just do right in the world. Yeah. It's like if it wasn't me, it's a pretty hard sell to get him in that movie. <laughs> I would imagine. You know? So yeah. so yeah, it was cool. It was fun to to try something new with him after all those years, you know. I want to do a couple more questions because we you've been really generous with your time here. Um and this is all really fascinating because again, as somebody who, you know, knows you and, and you've been on the podcast and has just seen, you know. Everybody in Chicago sees each other's Twitter and knows what each other is kind of working on and things. So to really get to like sit and dissect this with you is something that I knew in the back of my head at some point. Like there's certain conversations I'm like, oh yeah, at some point we'll talk to that person about this. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like at some point when Slice comes out, like there's a chat with Austin that we're gonna do. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but something that I think doesn't get as much attention as like the the chance kind of bit is that you worked with Elijah Alvarado. Oh and yeah, yeah. Maybe not everybody knows that name, but if they know your work, they might be familiar because Elijah is another filmmaker and producer in his own right, supremely talented animator, and and he's a long, long, long time collaborator yeah. of yours. So what was it like to kind of graduate to this larger project and be able to work with one of your longtime friends in this capacity? It was crazy, man, because it's like. Uh... It was, so again, when Brandon first came to me, 2014, Elijah was living here, so it was just like automatic. I'm just like, this guy's got to be in my corner, like for this new endeavor. You know, we've been making movies together at this point for so long, and he ended up just career opportunities came up where he actually moved away, and he was gone for like a year and a half or something like that. And uh, so he finally came back, and again, it was just kind of no question. It was like, man, you gonna you gonna do this with me? So we we kind of created a, a position on set for him, which was creative producer so that he could sort of be I'm under all this pressure of pursuing my vision satisfying what I want to make it into but I've also got these new pressures of monetary stuff and all these types of things where it's like there's people telling you maybe you should cut that right and then luckily I had this person who's only who through discussion we decided his only considerations would be creative ones so he could be sort of a creative conscience. He's only interested in what works for your vision on the film. Yeah. Not like does this work with the Taco Bell placement. Or yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like so when those things would come up it was great to have somebody there who like man if I'm not seeing it if I'm lost in the sauce I can just take a step back and be like cool objectively what's your feeling about this and and that was a great feeling and you know it's crazy we made our first short film together and like April of 2008, our my senior year of high school, his junior year, and then the film Slice came out just um, ten years later. So it's like so that's not that's not that long of a of a jump though. Yeah, you know, yeah. from start to finish. And I'll, I'll say this: like 
I teach at Columbia, and I mentioned this a lot on the podcast, but I teach this freelancing and entrepreneurship class for artists. And literally, my lesson today was all about how, like, we were talking about long-term goals and how you get there. And I was telling this room, 40 kids, you know, young adults, yeah. and like, hey, what's your vision for, like, the long-term? What's that thing you're working towards? Like, what you do today and tomorrow and the day after that and the week and the month after that, it does feed into that. It's not just, like... You don't just like make a short film once in high school and then ten years later wake up and you're like slices made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're talking about that was like a six year process. Yeah, and that's I think just such an important thing for I think a lot of creatives to hear. And in fact, I don't know if you knew this, we had uh, the brothers from the video production group Strip Mall. Oh, cool. And cool. they're uh, for anyone Those doesn't guys know, do great work. Yeah, and they're young filmmakers. They've worked like Man Wolves and a lot of the younger, newer talent in the city. Uh, Mello makes music. A lot of these guys. And and they were saying, dude, and it's wild. It's like they were like, yeah, Austin Vesely is one of our biggest influences. <laughs> and I remember talking to you at the Driscoll when you were like, when you were the young kid yeah. who was like the new wave. And I'm not saying you're the old wave, but it's like you're established now. You made a short film with H1, or not a short film, but you made a feature length film with A24. And now there are young kids on this podcast being like, yeah, man, Austin Vesely, like that's the that's the model. That's too cool. It's wild. It, it's really wild because. Uh, it also was never like it was never this sort of definitive path. It was never this like I'm gonna make a bunch of music videos and my friend's gonna get super famous. And no, like, you couldn't have planned that. Yeah, it's just like it was like I came to to Chicago to go to Columbia College for film, and and it was like I'm gonna do that thing. I'm gonna make the short film. I'm gonna get into Sundance. I'm gonna do the Wes Anderson model. Sure, there is no model. There is no, no. model that you can truly follow, especially, especially now. Not, yes, I was gonna you say know? especially not now. And it's like if you were a filmmaker in 1993 and you saw maybe like Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino, maybe you're like, okay, well, that's the offbeat indie model. But even that was still pretty close to the studio model. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, man, if you have a smartphone, if you have two friends that want to do stuff with you, like – Boom! You you can become a filmmaker if you have a Vimeo account. Like you you start. Yeah, it's it's stunning that sort of that we talk about. We've probably been talking about this now for four years, you and me. Right, but the, yeah. the democratization of the tools and yeah. the democratization of the tools to put the stuff out, which is that like you know there was the videotape generation, your Paul Thomas Anderson and stuff, and those guys became so cinematically you know well educated right just from being able to rent and access videos all the time back then that had to feel like our version of spotify like there's a video store where yeah. i can take home any film any yeah. film on vhs yeah like that was just probably groundbreaking yeah, yeah. And, and now it's almost like you're the you're the streaming generation there's like this there's this i'm consuming content all the time yeah and and then i was also at the same time making zero budget stuff that i was trying to make industry standard and that's something that I think that shows up in Slice, you know, I, I don't know if that's something that people will talk about now or eventually, but the idea that, like, it's it stretched its budget so thin because we knew how to do stuff on the on the Dude, 100 million percent. I think if you're able to, and again, this is, like, circling conversations you and I have had and that I have with my students where it's like, if you don't let I don't have money stop you, if mm-hmm. you find a way around it, and again, if you have a smartphone and if you have a friend with a smartphone even, like, there's a solution. And if you can create on zero budget, mm-hmm. then the fact the first time someone gives you any budget, you're like, oh my God, I can do so much with this. Yeah. So I bet if you go from ten bucks to a thousand dollars, you feel like, holy shit, what do we do with all oh, this? Yeah. You know? And then oh, if yeah. you get a million dollars and then eventually you get to like your fifty million dollar budget or whatever, it's like by the time you get that or your hundred million dollar budget one day, you're gonna be like what do we do with the other 90 million? <laughs> yeah, you know? man. Like, yeah. I was watching that, uh, the behind the scenes of The Last Jedi. Yeah. And I was just like, holy fuck. It was like 100 <laughs> days or more and all these these sets that took 
a month to build one set. Yeah. And it's like, that's crazy. And, and for you, 25 days was like, whoa. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And half the movie shot in the back of a hardware store where you're just like finding rooms that look right and it's, and you're just dressing them and, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool to, it's cool to have done that and, and figured out how that would work for me and, and, there's probably always going to be some aspect of that to the way I work, just yeah. from the way I, I came you're, up. You're from the DIY. Mm-hmm. You came up with that. Yeah. yeah. So I was reading your Tribune feature, mm. and you have, according to the Trib feature, we'll let us know if this is right, you have a new film script you're working on, you're yeah. doing a TV pilot with Hannibal Burris, yeah. and you are consulting on a LeBron James HBO series? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. What the shit? Like, yeah. are all these all correct? Like, what's coming up for you in the future? Yeah, so that's... Okay, let me in order. <laughs> I've been writing a script for on and off longer than Slice. There's an idea that I had before that that I thought was going to be my first thing, and I've been resurrecting that for basically the past year and just researching, and uh, it's a period piece. I've been doing what Paul Thomas Anderson called holding hands with an era, mm-hmm. uh, just like researching and trying to live in that. Um, so that's that's fun, and I've just been trying to power through that because that's the thing. You, know, you, you put out your movie finally, and it's like, Cool, let's do it again. Yeah, the next morning, you're like, oh, what now? Yeah, yeah. That, and the dream is to just like jump back in, so we'll see how it goes. But yeah, in the meantime, again, Brandon Riley, um, through his hustle, he figured out, he, he connected with Uninterrupted, which is a media branch of LeBron James' company, and they were making uh, this show called The Shop. Um, and the first episode's out, it's on HBO. And they brought me in to do some some consulting or directing or framing or whatever it is, and and it was like, it was really a surreal experience. Where it's literally a barbershop talk show, and the cast for that day was LeBron James, John Stewart, uh, Snoop Dogg, Gerard Carmichael, OBJ. No big deal. Yeah, yeah, totally sure. insane. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, my job was sort of you know helping get the cameras and and you know help frame the conversations and stuff like that if I got there. But, but yeah, I mean, just to like, whenever we'd pause and I'd like walk out of the back room where we're watching monitor into that room, I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Are you just kind of like playing it cool until you walk in the restroom? Then you're like, yeah. 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 I started having deja vu during it and I was like, Oh, I'm insane. I've lost my mind. (laughs) I was like, this is definitely not happening. I'm in a psych ward somewhere. Right. Um, you're just daydreaming that of course you're consulting on a LeBron James show with Snoop Dogg. Totally, totally crazy. So, so yeah, the first episode of that's out. They actually shot the second one, uh, on the day of the slice premiere. So I'm not on that one. Um, and then I guess it was in July or August, uh, Hannibal Burris hit me up. We'd worked together on this on Slice and on a Chance video a long time ago. And uh, yeah, he had a he had a like a pilot idea. Basically, it's not a full pilot. It's like a it's like a pitch. So we 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 shot a pitch that we're like working on dishing that out. So that's wild, man. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about a bunch of these kind of things over all the interviews. But like, if we were summarizing, especially now that you have the film out, like, what advice would you give for young filmmakers? And we and you've given a lot of it over the course of this interview. But like, if you were to summarize it, somebody's in a small town, even a big town, and they're like, oh my god, I want to make a, I want to make a film with a twenty four. I want to do something weird that isn't just like the same movie over and over again because mm-hmm. this is not a movie that anyone's going to watch and they're going to go, oh, I've seen this so many times. <laughs> like, not at all. So, what advice would you give for any young filmmakers who like they don't have the connections, they maybe don't have the money, but they got the idea? Yeah, honestly, just like it always. I I don't know. It's hard for me to boil down stuff into advice. I like it when we do it conversationally like this. But right. It's like honestly just being true to the stuff that you really want to make. Whether it is more of like a 
a crazy, I mean, I don't know, whatever, whether it's like a slice or, or uh, something weirder, or if it's like, you know, you want to make, I don't know, you want to make Moonlight, you know, sure. like, like right. just make stuff that's, that's true to you and, and make it. That's the important thing is like nobody, like you can't wait around for anybody to, to give you the thing. It might work out. It might be Brandon Riley calls you on the phone. It says you got a script written, but you still got to have the script written, you know. And the, so. even if it comes together, the money can still fall through. Like you were talking, I mean, mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. anything can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of, if I'm in your shoes, I'm kind of thinking like, until I'm in the theater and the credits have stopped rolling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would still be in disbelief that the project really exists. Totally, yeah, totally. Even now, even now, yeah, every, yeah, every like, I swear to God, every single day when somebody's like, "Hey, I watched it," I'm like, "You did? How? I'm like, it doesn't it, even exist." Yeah, I'm like, yeah. "Fuck, it's available. Crazy, cool." Um, so yeah. so yeah, man. It's just like it's just like put in the put in as much work as you're capable of when you can, you know? Because because then what is uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? So it's true. like yeah. So just prepare yourself as well as you can for the opportunities, so that you can also feel lucky as shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, and lucky because your hard work paid off. Yeah, not lucky because somebody came to your door and was like, "Hey, we got a whole cast together, and A twenty four is in the car. Like, do you want to make the movie with us?" Like, yeah. You went out and you made that happen over a number of years, and it built on all of your experience leading up to that time that you did with no budget, with no guarantee that any of it was going to lead to this. And yeah. when you started working with these guys like Chance and Vic, like these were not famous headliners. Mm-hmm. These were people who were like young talents that you saw promise in, and you yeah. wanted to be part of this cool thing they were building. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good piece of advice too: is work with people that you believe in. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's from your Elijah Alvarados, the guys who are in your corner on your team making the stuff behind the scenes and then also the people that you want to, I don't know, put in front of a camera, whether you're making music videos or short films, find people, find artists that you believe in, collaborators that you believe in and, and uh, yeah, you know, just fucking have fun and make the stuff. Man, I was watching the credits and I was like, and I watched the full credits and I was like, oh, there's Colleen Mayers. There's, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it was cool to see like names. Where I was like, I know that person. And like, you put your friends in these films. It wasn't yeah. all like, yeah, you have your Paul Shears and like, you know, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. And Chris Parnell, but it wasn't like you were just like, uh, I'm leaving all these people out of it. Like you yeah. brought everyone with you, yeah. and there were also a couple of like names in there. And we had the full. The last time I did this with you, we did a panel. It was Hebrew and, and, and Austin, Andrew Barber, and, Andrew. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. they're both in the in the film. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just like if I was going to make my first movie, and it was going to be a Chicago experience. I had to involve as many people as I could, you know. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. yeah, when we got to Andrew, just looked at the one, I was like. Right on. There yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. I love it, man. Um, Austin Vesley, the film is called Slice. It's available on like iTunes, all of the uh, VOD platforms, Amazon, Google Play, everywhere that people find movies, man. Um, and I have to say, like, and I mean this sincerely, like, thank you so much for all the support over the years because, like, you didn't have to take time to do the interview at South By. You didn't have to do that panel we did. I mean, that panel, and, and this is like, it's wild. It was the biggest panel we've ever done. You were in that room. Oh, wow. We filled up two floors of the Chicago Athletic Hotel event space. We got 30, no, this is not an exaggerated number. We got 3,200 RSVPs. Amazing. We got a fire hazard warning. I mean, that <laughs> panel just, it, it was kind of like what you're talking about. It was like everything just lined up. Yeah. Just right. Yeah. And uh, It was and you, cold too. It was like December. It People was December. came out. Yeah. People came out when it was cold and, and that was not a guaranteed thing. Mm-hmm. But you've always taken the time. You've always been awesome with that. And and that support means a lot because you know this when you're small, when you're independent, when you're doing everything DIY, every bit of support actually means something, man. So thank you for everything yeah, over the years. Yeah, thank you, man. And thank you for telling the stories of Chicago artists, man. It's appreciated. It's fun. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, the movie's called Slice. People can check it out now. I can't wait to see what you do next, man. Austin Vesely, thank you. Thanks, man. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. 
Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.